I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about a newly qualified Los Angeles police detective called Sam Foster. His first case is investigating the mysterious killing of an old man in Chinatown. However, there is very little evidence at the crime scene, and the only witness was the old man's dog, Chocho. However, Sam soon discovers Chocho is the only dog in the world who can speak to humans. Not only that, Chocho is an expert in martial arts. When they join forces to track down the mastermind behind the death of Chocho's master, it leads these unusual partners into uncovering a dangerous conspiracy, which puts both of their lives in danger. It's what I would be saying if this was a adaptation of the classic film Karate Dog, starring Chevy Chase, Pat Morita, and John Voight. This is, however, just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran, and joining me is a man who comfortably mixes fast talking with ass kicking, Sam Foster. Hello. Uh, I, was, I was thinking about doing a whole fast talking thing there, but thought better of it. Be annoying. So this week on Film Chat, Danny chooses T two train spotting. It's a sort of a train spotting because this is choose. Yeah, it's the famous it. word associated it. with it. This is the slightly strangely titled sequel to the 1996 zeitgeist capturing classic and danny's going to let us know whether it captures the magic of the original or just hunts around desperately for it inside a giant toilet bowl full of shit we also review the german comedy tony erdman one of the big hits of last year's festival circuit the less said about it the better because it contains so many wonderful surprises we also discuss michael bay's plans to stay relevant by making a film that sounds a bit like a prequel to the simpsons episode where lisa becomes a president we go completely chimp wild at the exciting news that one of the most beloved ape films is going to be remade. And we ask why every film is American Hustle now. Why is every film American Hustle now? That's We've done it now. I did what I said I would do. All that should leave just enough time for me to organise a mass protest outside the US Embassy for the excessive number of Oscar nominations for La La Land. Things have become critical. We can't afford to just sit at home tweeting about La La Land. We need to hit the streets. I want 100,000 people with extremely witty and offbeat signs uh, listening to Owen Jones take La La Land to task for its hollow reliance on false nostalgia. So watch this space. The hashtag for organizing the protest is hashtag back blah blah bland lash. Let's do it, man. Yeah. Films, 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 lots of films, 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 films. He's good films, bad films, fun films, sad films, films we love, weird films, Lars von Trier films, old films, new films, some John Boo films, films that star Peter Fitch, films by David Lynch, films short, films six hours long, we've got films up to your guild. 
schools with films, 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 movies. Are you feeling comfortable? Film chat has begun. James Andrews wrote in, uh, he wrote in last week about Jackie, but we didn't have time for his comment uh, when Danny was reviewing the movie. Um, so it's arriving now. He says, I really enjoyed it, but basically my thoughts were like the music carried the whole film. It was like the kind of music you'd usually hear accompanying a sweeping shot of Washington. So the scoring of strings and high winds had a patriotic air, but the spaciousness, silences, and floating repetition evoked the shock and rumination of Jackie's grief far more than the many lingering shots of Natalie Portman's face alone. Mika Levy's trademark woozy glissando, sliding, James explains what glissando means, in case you don't know, the glissando strings echoing the constant boozing and pill-popping she's doing throughout. I had some other issues with the film. I thought Portman's performance was disappointingly rigid. I'm not convinced she's that good of an actress, really. I found the plot device quite weird. Why were they so unpleasant to one another? I kept misreading it as sexual tension and that they might bang any minute, especially since the reporter was so damn sexy. And wouldn't it have been cool if JFK was never shown at all? However, the shot of the car racing down the highway post-assassination with the security guard standing over and protecting them was so awesome and moving, I could just watch that a million times over on repeat. I should add that she did actually sound a lot like Jackie Kennedy, so if this was stars in their eyes with Matthew Kelly, she should win the Oscar. But this isn't, so she shouldn't. Whoa. Praising and dissing at the same time. That's, like a, real, that's like a real review. Yeah. What, what do you make of James's remarks, Danny? I think the music is ace. I said that last week, but I want to repeat it because it's so ace. In fact, I want to drop a little bit in now. editing uh and portman i've seen a, a few reviews a bit snippy about her performance but i think her sort of rigidity as he puts it kind of works well cut. i'm not sure if she's a great actress but i think when she's perfectly placed in the film yeah she's uh you know i mean i haven't seen it but i've seen her very well used to other stuff thought she was great in black swan yeah not so good v vendetta no <laughs> but, but, but it's the, not a great role you know it's not a great know. role but she's got like a brittleness to her i think do you think i think she can't be empowered. No, or, no, I don't know exactly. But I just think she's a bit, it's all about, how do I put it? I think she's really good in Black Swan and this because it's all about sort of performance and people performing. Yeah. And, and she just has that quality to her. But she wouldn't be as good in like the Hunger Games or something. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. she doesn't have that sort of steeliness. Yeah, that, I can see The character mean. that, I don't know, from the source material has. I forget her name. Evie, right? Obsessed with V's. Yeah. Evie or Veronica or something. I think she's just called Vivi. Vivi. <laughs> But it's a character called Vivi, and she moves in with V. They take down the government. Satire. Brilliant. So a couple of episodes ago, Chris informed us about uh, Manchester City being taken to watch La La Land in the hopes that improve their football performances. And he gets in touch to update us. He said, I thought I'd update you on Manchester City's fortunes after watching La La Land as a team outing. It worked, sort of. They race into a very credible 2-0 lead against Tottenham, only to be pegged back to 2 or at the end by a combination of incompetence and poor refereeing. 
Maybe just a couple more memorable tunes would have seen them through. Also, in your discussion of football films, how could you miss out on the Vinnie Jones, Jason Statham, Danny Dyer classic, Mean Machine, for shame. And then Dougal McQueen chipped in with, and equally shamefully, Bennett Light Beckham and The Damn United. And then Chris chipped back in with, I love those films. Yeah, well, you're using, like, football terms there. Chipping in. He lobbed, he lobbed it back in. He lobbed it back in. Yeah, yeah sure. Hoofed up another comment. Guys, okay, was the question name football movies? No. no. It just came up. It was we just about... inspiring films. Exactly. So don't try and shame us. If you'd said, written in with, like, name some football movies, I want to name, like, a million of them. Yeah, and they wouldn't have wanted to go see The Damned United because it's all about, you know, suffering defeats and yeah. it's full of setbacks. I can't think of a worse film to show a football team. Yeah, I was listening back to uh, the episode where we were discussing this and noticed that I managed to wheeze on my way out of offering any contribution myself. I was just like, Danny, what's yours? And I was like, James, what's yours? And he couldn't think of one. I was like, well, don't worry, James, that's okay. You know, not all of us can be as uh, great at off-the-cuff comments as Danny and I are, but I didn't say anything myself. So now your answer is? My answer is, I would say, Billy Elliot, you interrupt the movie halfway through and like, there's a kind of... Uh, vinyl scratch sound and then freeze frame and then like fade out and then just the six hour version of nymphomaniac plays um brilliant and then they go straight onto the pitch from that yeah like the screen just lifts up and it just opens directly onto the football pitch and they just have to play right away so that it's so fresh in their minds you know yeah otherwise the effects of the film would like dissipate absolutely that's a brilliant answer I'm ashamed I didn't come up with that myself. It's so obvious now in hindsight. Well, I think professional footballers would, you know, the way to really pump, pump you up for a game is to see Charlotte Gainsbourg have in like 8,000 different fucked up sexual scenarios over a period of many hours. <laughs> and then uh, then you're primed. Primed to win. Well, it's a winner's film. <laughs> <laughs> You said that so adamantly that I, David, I can disagree with you. <laughs> if I ever try, it's a film for winners. <laughs> <laughs> That's my take on it. Jake Hoskins has written into us. Jake says, my mum and I were watching telly the other day and an ad came on with the trailer for that new Matthew McConaughey film, Gold. Not sure if you've seen the trailer yourselves, but my mother made a very valid point upon seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> great jake impression by the way Keep that's how up. he delivers that's how he'd read it namely why are all films just the same now just wolf of wall street meets american hustle with a bit of the hangover or is that just gold have you seen the trailer for gold i did i watched it today actually how was it i haven't seen it can you paint a picture for me in words uh, matthew mcconaughey is like a down on his luck sort of hustler type he discovers a gold mine so he bets it all on finding this gold and he does and then it's all about his rise and fall in i think the late 80s early 90s wall street world right okay so it's like it's like there'll be blood sure but set with gold instead of oil and uh, everything else is different uh yes but exactly <laughs> the same but i think to his point there's definitely just a certain lack of imagination you imagine in like Hollywood studios where they're just trying to copy the most recent success. I think it's one thing. And also, I think Wolf Wall Street and American Hustle follow the lineage of Goodfellas. I mean, obviously, Wolf Wall Street is Mars Scorsese and David O. Russell is sort of Scorsese karaoke. But I think Goodfellas is probably an argument to be made that's like one of the most influential films of the last 30 years. Like Trainspotting, which I'll be reviewing the sequel of, is very Goodfellas-influenced. Spoiling yeah. characters, narration... 
uh, jukebox soundtrack, montages, freeze frames, all the sort of tricks he kind of mastered in Goodfellas are just like the way people make sprawling biopics these days. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe you could potentially tie it into an argument about a wider uh, trend of sort of um, problematic or not very good storytelling in Hollywood where... Um, you can simply have a lot of zip and verve in your movie as a replacement for like more solid, good storytelling. I saw someone make this point on Twitter about um, TV series and how the sort of influence of The Sopranos was turning all these t- television shows into like one long story where nothing happens for eight episodes and then something happens in the ninth one. Yeah. And his comment was that they were replacing personality with arcs just like the character starts at A and is at B at the end, so therefore it was a story. And yeah. I wonder if there's a similar kind of thing with these kinds of movies where there's like a sen- you know, there's a sweep to them because there's like loads of different scenes and the characters, you know, get rich and then get poor. Yeah, and, and their hair just, changes. Their hair changes, exactly. There's a lot of different costumes and stuff. So at the end you're like, I watched a story, you know, even if it, none of it really hangs together. Yeah, yeah. I um, think your mum made a very astute point, Jake. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you were still talking to me. I was like, I that was me talking. That wasn't my mum. <laughs> Listen, Jake, stop talking. Jake, your mum made a great point there. Right, yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, good point. Um, good point, Jake's mum. But next time, maybe write in the comment yourself. Don't get your son to do it. Like, just saying. Have the balls to talk us out directly. I know, but... <laughs> great, great call out. That'll teach you. <laughs> I'm calling her out. I'm very assertive this uh, on this episode that's going to be my approach superhero films announced casting rumors leaking out m not Shyamalan's film is hated paul thomas anderson's is fated meryl streep's oscar tips matt damon's in a viral vid michael bay's made a mint that's the news that's been to print so we live in crazy interesting times where everything's going to shit apparently i don't know because i live in my little privileged uh white middle class bubble you only care um, about movies i only care about movies and if the cost of my flat white goes up but yeah. aside from that i don't give a shit it's just a fun <laughs> little game to watch play out on the internet as far as i'm concerned it's a very healthy attitude yep um but movies are going to be reflecting the times and who better to oversee that than michael bay the great satirical insightful filmmaker of his generation yeah Universal has won a heated bidding war to pick up the rights to a film called Little America, which is a futuristic adventure movie that Bay is producing. And the project is going to be held by Rowan either Athale or Athale. You've got a confusing surname, Rowan. I'm sorry. Your name was not easy for me to pronounce. That's why it's wrong. And he's a British filmmaker who made the 2012 crime thriller Wasteland. Remember that movie Wasteland? Nope. I watched the trailer of it today. Didn't look very good. Gotcha. Just going to say that, Rowan. I'm sorry. And uh, he wrote the script on spec and is attached to a direct and is described by sources as sci-fun rather than sci-fi. Those sources were morons, in my opinion. Because <laughs> that's a dumb turn of phrase. Yes, moronic sources. But apparently the story is set in a dystopian future where a Donald Trump-like president has bankrupted in America and China has called in its debts. The Asian giant now owns the US and many Americans have emigrated to China looking for work. And in this new world... A former American Force Recon member is hired by a Chinese billionaire to go into an American ghetto and rescue his daughter. So basically, sort of escape from New York, but like escape from America, but the Chinese are in charge or something. Anyway, um, sounds brilliant. Yeah, the thing that I think is so weird about this is that if it is, um, the only hint that it's like a reaction to Donald Trump or is in some way common on the current times is the fact that the president's apparently Donald Trump-like, right? Yeah. 
But um, the actual plot of the movie sounds like the reactionary fever dream of the people who voted him in. You know, yeah, yeah. You have this like zero sum view of world affairs where you're always being beaten by the Chinese, and that the real danger facing America is that um, the government will spend too much money on welfare queens, and they'll like, you know, or the, the bankers or whatever, and the Chinese will just, uh, yeah, take them over, and they'll just keep beating America, and uh, you know, yeah. I don't know what like what happens when China calls in debts to America, like, and now you will make our T-shirts or something. Like. <laughs> <laughs> what's the i don't know so it don't, like it doesn't sound like i mean it just sounds like exactly the film that we don't need now you know it's yeah. like completely the not the response that we'd be looking for to the current political climate do you think this is actually rather than being it's like red dawn or something but like, yeah yeah the chinese instead of but a... the chinese box office is huge business these days right so all the blockbusters have got to appeal to the asian market so i think this is a way to appease to the you know appease to an asian audience yeah. while being giving the veil of subversion but it's actually just a sort of political i guess it depends move. how the chinese are portrayed in the movie like whether they're kind of cool you yeah know, china's still cool whether they're cool or not you know yeah uh, if they're played by like mickey rooney's son or something he's dead isn't he so I, <laughs> yeah i can't say that if they're played by mickey rooney because it would make sense so i just went to the nearest other option his son yeah <laughs> If he plays, if he plays the main <laughs> Mickey Junior, if he plays the main Chinese villain, I don't think the film would go down as well on the Chinese market. Correct. Whereas, I agree. if he was played by more respected Chow Yun Fat, Chow Yun Fat, for example, it would probably have more broad appeal in that part of the world. So that's my insightful cinephile's view on things. That's brilliant. Brilliant. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I was wondering if there's any news about a film about an orangutan, Sam. Usually when you say that, I have to tell you that there isn't. They cut that out every week, that question. We always cut that out because there's usually... Well, actually, although having said that, there's a lot of apes on in the films these days. They become very popular. I'm pretty sure the only reason that that... Like, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of apes in movies <laughs> these days, I've been noticing. They got a lot of, uh, a lot of apes. Yeah. You see that? Like, uh, not so many uh, horses anymore, you know? But uh, apes... The ape market is booming. Apes are booming. You got a mouse films are kind of on the way out. Apes are back. Stuart Little, where's he gone? <laughs> they did a remake now, he'd be an ape. Um so yes. <laughs> yes. Apes are popular, and I think that is what has driven the decision behind this news item. Are you a big fan of the Clint Eastwood film Every Which Way But Loose? Uh no, but I am familiar with the premise. Uh what is the premise? I don't even know. Clint I know Eastwood, that he's got an orangutan in it. Yeah, Clint Eastwood has a pet orangutan called Clyde, and they he's like a sort of trucker drifter type and a bare knuckle boxer. He does all these underground fights, and he's sort of like it's like a sort of knockabout road movie comedy. And I think in the first one he's like in love with a 
a country and western singer and he like falls foul of a, like a gang of motorbikers and he has to like beat them up sounds and completely mad the orangutan like just sort of blows raspberries and sort of waves and is cute so could you like take the orangutan like out of the film and just replace the it plot a... would still make sense yeah just like a sort of comedy psycho it's just, psychic, it's just yeah. you know like usually just be a dog sort of like looking a bit you know confused but what they, does like, the title mean like it's a weird title what does that mean um i don't know who knows uh anyway uh it did not get very good critical reception but it did make a lot of money uh when it came out in 1978 and it spawned a sequel and uh now it is coming back it's going to be remade we're going to get to see another man with an ape friend on our screens um and uh, the original director a man called james fargo is kind of pushing this new version of it and he wants the d- a director called Anthony Cohen to call the shots. Oh right, well, yeah, Anthony of course. Co- of course, of course, Anthony Cohen. If you can get Cohen, I mean, you get Cohen. His I dance, mean, you know, list is pretty full up. Um, I hadn't heard of him. Had you heard of him before reading this no. new story? Fargo said that uh, he had this guy in mind, in particular. He said, "I've been interviewing directors for over a year. That's much. <laughs> spending a year." <laughs> Whole year of his life, 12 solid months, speaking to people about directing a remake of uh, Any Which Way At Least. And he says, as soon as I watched Cohen's film, The Sex Trip, I knew instantly he was the right director for this picture. I was very impressed with his film and his directing style. The Sex Trip, have you have you seen this film or were you familiar with The Sex Trip? I vaguely remember the ads for it. Do you? Yeah. I looked at it up on IMDb and it looked like one of those like you know, where someone's paid to have the page put on, you know, like <laughs> there was very little information about it. No one famous is in it. I thought maybe it was like a sequel to the road trip or something. But well, it's it... definitely in that vein. I guess it's in that maybe... vein, but I don't think it is. I think it's just like, yeah, maybe the trip aspect is what really sold him because they do a lot of traveling around the first movie. Sure. Actually. Yeah. He probably directs a good trip. <laughs> it's quite funny it's like who can I got this movie it's about a guy and an ape. The guy made sex trip. It's like, what, what, what's in this remake? <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be spicy this time i think the the orangutan should like maybe bone a few chicks in this in this new one yeah i think it'd be awesome i think there should be a scene where they like turn up in town and they like go to a bar and uh whoever the main guy is you know uh clint's replacement scott eastwood yeah yeah he's uh goes in the bar and he's like immediately surrounded by you know lovely local ladies who are uh, interested, yeah, and the orangutan you. is like hanging back, and it's a bit like, oh. well, what am I gonna do? And like the audience is a bit like, oh, I feel bad for the orangutan. And then like in the corner of the bar, there's like this beautiful, like female orangutan. Hello. Um, I don't know exactly how they look different, but <laughs> she had like lipstick and a bow, a bow in her, her hair. hair. <laughs> yeah, like, she's Hello. playing. She's playing the harp. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And it cuts to them uh, cuts making them, love. Yeah, it cuts to a fucking scene. <laughs> Just like one of the ones in Sex Trip. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. And was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it astonishingly poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. So, Sam, where were you in 1996? I was six. I think I was probably watching Spider-Man. Well, like the rest of the world was watching Trainspotting, that zeitgeisty movie. And this is the sequel. It has reteamed the same cast and uh, crew? No, not the car by saying The crew is probably the same as yeah, well. Yeah, well, the main talents are the same. So it's directed by Danny Boyle and it's written by John Hodge. And it's more a sequel to the movie 
then adaptation of the sequel to Train Spotting in book form, which was called Porno, though it steals some elements from that uh, Irvine Welsh book. So at the end of the first film, Renton, Sick Boy, Spud, and Begbie, the gang, did this drug deal for £16,000, which was a lot of money 20 years ago. But Renton stole the money, though he left uh, Spud's share because he liked Spud the best out of all of them. And the film catches <laughs> up 20 years on... And Sick Boy is running a failing pub. Spud has failed to kick the habit and is unemployed and estranged from his wife and son. And Begbie is in prison. But Renton, following plot reasons, comes back to Edinburgh and the gang in various forms are reunited. And here is a clip of Renton chatting to Spud after he's forced Spud to go for a run. I can't fail again, Mark. Can I need to detox the system? Oh, Spud detox the system. What does that even mean? doesn't mean anything. It's not getting it out of your body that's the problem. It's getting it out of your mind. You are an addict. I think I haven't heard that 100,000 times, Mark. You've got 12 more steps for me, comedy. So be addicted. Be addicted to something else. Like you're running until I feel sick? Yes. Or something else. You've got to channel it. You've got to control it. People try all sorts. Some people do boxing. Boxing? Well, it's just an example. I don't... <laughs> I don't mean you should... What did you channel into? Getting away. So I was a little underwhelmed by it. I think it's not terrible and it has some strong moments, but overall it's a bit sprawling and unfocused and I'm not sure it really justifies its existence, which it kind of needed do, to do, and I don't think it did. And we've discussed many times in the podcast, and very recently with La La Land, this modern trend of nostalgia and movies which just reference other things as a way to trick you into caring. Yeah, caring. And, I mean, this is sort of part of, like, modern life in general. This sort of nostalgia thing is a very um, millennial thing. So, Trainspotting 2, if it's going to ape Trainspotting 1, which encapsulated the 90s so brilliantly, has to sort of include nostalgia... Uh, nostalgia for nostalgia i don't know put it like nostalgia binging yeah well, that's kind of plot. what like the world's end was about almost you know yeah like, exactly yeah so it kind of has to include that if it's going to encapsulate modern life and this is a film about nostalgia and people in their 40s looking back to their 20s and regretting things and wishing they've done things differently so it has more of a license to do that and in some ways it earns it however it also directly references the film in sort of very obvious visual ways which is just very distracting and, for example, there's a bit that's been heavily featured in the trailer for Transporting 2 where Ewan McGregor is almost run over by a car and puts his hand on the bonnet and smiles, as he does in the first movie. And it serves no other dramatic purpose than to just remind you of the first film in a way which is a bit 4 4 breaking. Yeah, And there's also Wouldn't like it. a version of the Choose Life speech and Kelly MacDonald is sort of shoehorned in for five minutes in a way which feels like just things on a checklist being ticked off. And it has the added effect of sort of canonizing everything in the original. And it feels like the characters aren't remembering their past, but remembering transporting the movie at times, if you know what I mean, in a way which is a little irritating. And structurally, it's also quite problematic. Unlike the first one, which ate the sort of Goodfellas collection of vignettes, which really seamlessly tied together. Uh, this one, because it's about Renton returning, it doesn't have his voiceover or his perspective. So it feels a bit just stitched together. And it has good bits, but they're not really cohesively tied to a main narrative thrust. And Spud's story has the most potential to be dramatically interesting because he's the one who hasn't kicked the habit. And it's like after the exuberance of the 90s, what's it like being a heroin addict for 20 years? Obviously, 
kind of sucks. But his plotline is really sidelined, and there isn't really enough story going on for like the two-hour run length, and so it compensates with a lot of plots. And the plot that it does have is this quite ropey kind of like genre movie stuff, and it's in danger of becoming like a sort of Guy Ritchie colorful caper movie with you know just characters, and it's just a bit underwhelming. But there are some things I enjoyed about it. The cast are all excellent, and there is something inherently cool about them reprising their roles, and it ha- that has a certain, I don't know, something you can't really fake about, you know, Johnny Lee Miller and Ewan McGregor having a scene together 20 years on. Yeah. There's just something cool about it. And I think they all do really good work. I think Robert Carlyle is the standout, because Begbie is the most interesting character, because he's such a force of nature. I mean, he is like Joe Pesci in Goodfellas. But it's like, what is that character like 20 years on? Like, if you know, you expect those characters will die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and he has a lot of pathos to his character and, like, a lot of nuance, which isn't necessarily completely in the script. It just sort of, his performance just kind of carries it. And in the final act, it goes kind of full caper movie, but he gives it a lot of credibility, which uh, is good. I think directing-wise, Danny Boyle is on a constant quest to make everything as exciting as possible all the time. Yeah. Which is, like, his thing. Uh, so there's a lot of visual pyrotechnics going on, some of which is good, some of which is there just because anything at all boring is an affront to him as a person. So I must use every camera trick I have at my disposal. But there's a little style of a substance. And I would just say it's not really enough going on. It's like, uh, kind of it's all about nostalgia and regretting the past, but it doesn't really investigate that at all. And the first movie, which is like cribbed a lot from the book, really encapsulates sort of post-industrial and like Thatcherism and Britpop coming at the same time. And maybe it's because the book was set in the late 80s and released in the early 90s. They had a bit of sort of years of perspective to kind of like get a handle on it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And now 20 years on, as we were just mentioning, the world is like nuts and nothing. It's very turbulent. (laughs) It's very turbulent. Yeah. So it doesn't really encapsulate modern Scotland. There's nothing about Scottish independence. There's a plot point about like them getting an EU grant, which is hilariously dated. They must have shot that scene and like, oh shit, like you know, Brexit yeah. ruined it. So a bit disappointing, really. Not like an embarrassment. It doesn't like ruin the original, but just feels a bit unnecessary. Fair enough. Simon Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. Let's join share between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The light is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin. Start talking now. So, Tony Erdman, this is a German uh, comedy that was a big... What? Big festival hit. Got, I know. <laughs> a German comedy? Yeah. <laughs> sorry, I was, just, hilarious. I was bulldozing straight past your um, stereotype gag. I'm sorry. Um, which, for which I apologise. You're right. It is absurd, the idea of the Germans making humour. What? So, um, yeah, it got a really great reception in, in various festivals uh, over the course of the year, and uh, including at London Film Festival, where you saw it, Danny. I saw it. Um, I saw this at La La Land. In retrospect, greatest decision of my life. Incredible decision. It is a tricky sell. It's very long. It's very strange. It's not like quite crazy enough to be like an out-and-out comedy, but it's also like much more absurd than a sort of family drama. It is about a uh, man, sort of aging father who is a bit of a prankster character. He likes to make gags and, like, 
put on disguises and make people laugh in silly ways and um his efforts to uh reconnect with his daughter who is a um professional type she works as a um Corpor- consultant consultant that's the one corporate yeah. consultant in bucharest in romania and i don't want to say too much about the plot because one of the great pleasures of this movie is the way that it unfolds and is constantly taking surprising turns i think it's one of those films where i'd really recommend like not watching the trailer uh, which I didn't do before yeah, going, going to see cold. the movie. Not really deliberately. I just happened to not watch it. And I'd heard enough to like be like, oh, I trust that it will be good. And I really had a fantastic experience watching it. So I'm glad that there is no clip that we can play because it's in German. I mean, bits of it are in English because they're like, you know, it's the business world and that's the international language of business. But, um, but even so, there will be no clip. You will hear nothing. And this review will only be 30 seconds long because that is how cautious we are about <laughs> revealing too much about the movie. No. So I've seen it twice. The first time I was like, this movie is great. The second time I was like, well done, earlier version of me. Successfully identified the film was great. Yeah. You just came out patting yourself on the back. Yeah, yeah. It's a brilliant film which feels completely spontaneous and real. But I think on second viewing, I noticed the amount of craft that's gone into it. And it yeah, is, it's incredibly it, well-crafted movie. Yeah, it's superbly written. And I think it's got this sort of realist visual approach. It's all kind of handheld cameras. But I think what's clever is like all the filmmaking is sort of uh, within the frame, not really the camera, if you know what I mean. So as a brief example, like when the dad, Winifred, and Innes first meet, he comes into the kitchen and she's on her phone in the garden. And there's like, you know, this big window between them. And it's like instantly establishes in a visual sense, there's this gap between them. But, you yeah. know, you don't only thought of that on the second time round. I was like, oh, and then if you go into that mindset you're like oh okay everything is sort of production design within each of its life in a way you don't realize but everything has been choreographed perfectly yeah no i think that's a really good point because it has the aesthetic of like a sort of uh, kitchen sink drama yeah you know it's very like flatly lit and um but it's all part it's like both a sort of family drama and also kind of comment on late capitalism and like globalization and uh, she is not overjoyed in her consultancy job and she spends a lot of time in drab offices and uh you know that aesthetic helps to basically sort of evoke like day-to-day tedium which is like part of what the movie is about and i also think it's kind of an ingenious way of like suckering you into a film which just has like big splashes like it has big strokes in it but the way that the movie opens with these few like quiet gently comical scenes of this like middle-aged man shuffling about his life yeah, yeah makes you think that it's like some sort of ken loach style thing or whatever um and then it, it goes places that you know you would not expect well it's that. yeah exactly it's sort of like it's dedication to realism is sort of like it earns the ability to sort of push the absurdity later well you and buy all, you buy all that stuff yeah. it's all like yeah and like if it hadn't had established it like the length is important for like making the final hour work and uh there are certain moments where like in lesser hands it would sort of uh, jump the shark a little bit but because it's just put in the effort you're going to go with it in a way which is kind of like brilliant yeah and i think a lot of that is to do with the performances as well and the the um the main the leads are absolutely brilliant uh an actor called uh peter simonishek who plays the uh the dad and sandra huller who plays his daughter they have great on-screen chemistry and uh, her performance is particularly like astounding like it's absolutely fearless and incredibly subtle and for someone whose character is very buttoned up and uh sort of dour and unhappy a lot of the time there is always so much going on in her features 
yeah she just i think in both in their interplay and just in what's going on in her own performance there's always so much to like read and like yeah well at. the film loosely is kind of about performance and yeah. it's the idea that like as this got a jokester and he's like a sort of music teacher at a at a primary school he's allowed to be kind of goofy and tell bad jokes and then she has to so he's like performs in a way which is kind of liberating but her workplace means she has to perform in a way that's really constricting and i think what's kind of clever is about like tony urban like all this sort of embarrassment she thinks she's going to cause him it's kind of like pales in comparison to all the kind of misogynistic digs she has to deal with in her daily workplace and it's always it's almost like you know at least the dad's performance is deliberately funny and it's supposed to be a joke yeah yeah i mean like without without getting into it too much the the movie is all about that kind of line where the way in which performance like you're saying can be like liberating or humiliating and that's constantly teetering in either direction and it does such a great job of um putting that idea in different contexts um and tying it to like everyday existence like straight straight from the beginning of the film so in the opaque way we've discussed this plot there's definitely a sort of dumber i think like a lot of reviews i've said is like it's almost like someone's taken the plot of an adam sandler movie and made it into an actually good film but one of the ways it's not like those films is that it doesn't really have a very easy moral to the story or conclusion and it's refreshingly complex in the way father daughter relationships are yeah and it's not like happy go lucky dad will teach stuck up a daughter how to cut loose like that's yeah, not yeah. the story at all and like the way it's constantly subverts your expectations of the premise is what makes it so thrilling and the two it's like two hours and 40 minutes long and it flew by i've seen it twice now yeah i, I thought see it I, yeah, I found that it went by very quickly like i i thought i was going to be checking my watch a bit but i really yeah. wasn't i think the key to it is that like every scene is good yes that makes the film good even the sort of business speak scenes are really enjoyable yeah absolutely yeah it does all that stuff really well uh, and it's got a good momentum to it because it gets increasingly set pc as the movie goes along which i think keeps you with it because you know it just like it has it becomes more dramatic you know yeah, in, a, in, a, in, a, in like sort of crescendo and i think it ties the political and social commentary in very well like it's actually quite a political movie but in like quite a subtle way like there's a scene where they visit a uh romanian plant and i guess the sort of commentary on the um, relationship between her like consulting firm and what they're doing to the local workers is like not particular like it's pretty obvious but um it doesn't feel like shoehorn in to the movie you know because all that stuff ties back into her relationship with her dad as well yeah you know it's all very organically done well it's like almost like the sort of post you know people left out by capitalism there's her estranged relationship with her father is almost reflected in like everything like society is sort of yeah everything's estranged from itself there's no unity anywhere yeah no i think that's that's actually that's actually quite true it's a very relevant film it feels like you know maybe unlike Trainspotting 2 it's very much a movie of its time yes i would say i've read a few reviews that have like made reference to this clever european filmmakers i'm not familiar with someone referenced like boonwell in a few reviews i read and i haven't seen those movies so to me it's not quite like any movie i've seen yeah and it's very original and I don't know, it's a hard movie to discuss because it's so unique in its approach. It's to very material. yeah, it is hard to it's very hard to categorize. Um I should mention I don't think I mentioned who the director is. It's a woman called Maren Arde. It's her third movie. The other two were apparently very well received. I have not seen them. She made a movie called The Forest for the Trees in two thousand three and a film called Everyone Else in two thousand and nine. 
and they're all written by her as well as directed by her. Well, I'm definitely going to watch those movies. Yeah, exactly. It's the sort of film where you come out and you're just like, I want to see everything this person has done. This like, Lee 2 so movie is brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> catch up very quickly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say definitely go see it and try and gather as many people you can. It'll be It's a good movie to watch with an audience because there are some huge belly laughs. And uh, another thing I would say is like I was a bit worried it was going to be like critic funny like a sort of like the pigeon gazing up its dick staring at existence what that film was called yeah but it's like it's funny genuinely funny it's really funny it's yeah. not like wanky funny it's funny yeah check would, it out oh yeah i would be surprised if this isn't in my top three movies of 2017 there's so. three movies better than this one in 2017 it's going to be a bumper year for yeah. films when Graf heard something that changed his life what he listened to when John Cusack made a mixtape for his future wife, what did she listen to? And when Michael Madsen cut a guy's ear off, what was he dancing to? And when Tim Robbins showed Shawshank that he had enough, which record did he choose? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's one more final exciting news story why I want to bring down was attention Liam Neeson you thought he'd hung up the ass kicking for contemplative old dramatic roles he's most recently in silence but the itch to kick ass must <laughs> must be scratched by Neeson so he has signed up for a movie brilliantly called Hard Powder Hard Powder Hard Powder what's that powder like it's hard it's a real Mad Libs type movie title, isn't it? Yeah, I felt like a pitch was going wrong. It's on monkey tennis. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this apparently is based on the 2014 Norwegian original In Order of Disappearance. Well, that's a, bo- a good title. I don't understand. Nah, mate, Hard Powder is so superior. Yeah, to- right. yeah, it is better. <laughs> and uh, the film will find Liam Neeson as Nels, an upstanding snowplow driver and recipient of Citizen of the Year Prize from his swanky Colorado ski town. But when his son is murdered by a local drug kingpin, a switch flips inside a hero and he goes on a rampage. And it says here, fueled by an unwavering drive of vengeance and armed with heavy machinery, this unlikely hero sets out to dismantle the cartel of extreme prejudice. And he's not stopping until he gets to the top of the food chain. Uh, and apparently he'll be up against a well-dressed vegan Native American mafia boss who drives a Tesla, but is only too happy murdering people. He's only too happy to murder people. He and- cares about Mother Earth, but he doesn't care about your mother. He would kill your mother. He would kill your mother. And uh, the director of the original movie, Hans Peter Moland, is back. He's like, I've I nailed it once. I'm gonna nail it twice. Yeah, it's like Mike. It's like what Michael Haneke did with Funny Games or something. But exactly. it's about a snowplow driver trying to murder a Native American hippie. So <laughs> I'm pretty bloody excited for Hard Powder. Can you think of a movie about? Well, for me, Snowplow Driver is just automatically associated with Mr. Plow from The Simpsons. That name again? It's Mr. Mr. Plow. <laughs> so like the first thing I think is like Mr. Plow goes on a murderous rampage. I think, and like, is it impossible for them to have a movie where Liam Neeson isn't murdering like someone of a different race? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. He goes to like it's Europe. Like angry and... old white man movie. Another one where he gets to like kill someone else. Uh, Why can't he turn on the KKK or something? Yeah. Some white supremacists. They make Mississippi burning and cause him in the uh, Gene Hackman role or something like that. Um, yeah. Or just don't make these stupid films. <laughs> That's another option. So anyway, a film like Hard Powder is crying out for constant attention from film chat, I think. <laughs> it's got a great title. It's got a great premise. I found it very inspiring when Danny told me about this. Uh, and so 
I have decided I'm going to submit a theme tune to them. Do it. I feel like they probably haven't written it yet. They're nah. probably still shopping about, you know? Nah. Browsing SoundCloud, like looking for the tag theme tune. <laughs> <laughs> See if there's any spares going. So uh, I'm going to try to get mine into the movie. I want to try to capture elements of the plot, the atmosphere, uh, the sound of Liam Neeson when he's like hacking a Native American arm off um, or like eating beef in front of him to taunt him. Um, yeah. Just eating some biltong or something. Eating some biltong, yeah. So anyway, so uh, I haven't yet written this song, listeners, but by the time you're listening to this, I will have. Um, so I want you to now enjoy the fruit of my future labors and we will see you next week where we be, where we will be reviewing prevenge the alice low uh slasher comedy thing and maybe another movie i might try to pick up another one of the uh oscar films that's coming out so we can you know get oscar coverage like hacksaw Absolutely. ridge or something so i can watch andrew garfield cry every time he sees a gun or whatever that film's about what a pussy total pussy <laughs> world's biggest pussy right <laughs> that was the original working title yeah uh, so we will see you then for a review of Revenge and World's Biggest Pussy. See you then. Goodbye. He's a man without fear. He's the citizen of the year. Yeah. He used to plow snow. But he's plowing a new furrow. They murdered his son. And left him with nothing but a plow and a gun Now this humble plower called Nels Is taking on the power of the drug cartels It's that hard powder, the powder's hard That powder's built to last He'll bust your ass to dust and then he'll mix that dust with starch The snow is falling hard and it's forming an impenetrable crust it's not that quality I call hard powderiness They've driven a man of peace to kill He's got a particular set of skills And a license for a snowmobile Once he was pure, the snow he drove Just loved his son, loved moving so And now he's coming straight for your throat Oh no Take cover when the blizzard hits This storm is coming at you quick
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.